I always stopped to watch the morning mist, the way it would glide slowly over the marsh, illuminate the grasses, the blue river that rippled into the ocean. I remember playing with my family along its thin shore, looking at my small hands, my feet sunk into peppered sand, and I could tell there was something strange and powerful about this place. When I grew older, I ventured out into the marsh, my kayak red and bright against the dark stillness. Surrounded by those waters, I kept a tight grip on my paddle, reminded myself to breathe. But I also felt like I could go anywhere. Today, stories about wetlands, the spaces in between, and how creating memories of a single moment can have an impact on what's to come. Welcome to Expedition Earth, a podcast where we reconnect to the wonders of our world and find a way to protect them. I'm your host, National Geographic Explorer, Lily Sedegat. Together, we'll rediscover what makes us human. One of the things that is hindering that kind of cultivation of love for wetlands is that it's perceived as something dirty or something that's easily destroyed. This is Gab Mejia. You know, it's so complex. It's so changing. It's difficult. There's droughts. There's typhoons. It's, it's like life, you know, it's changing. It's growth. Wetlands are life. Gab is a conservation photographer and an environmental storyteller. So I really love taking photos and I do love telling stories, photo stories. So I focus more on the environment, nature, endangered wildlife, indigenous cultures, and as well as the intersectionality of our society and, you know, the livelihoods and cultures that depend on the environment. As an explorer and mountaineer, Gab has created stories ranging from the disappearing glaciers in Patagonia to wildlife in the mountains of Borneo and rare and critically endangered species in the Philippines. And I think that's what I really value more about photography, beyond the, the beautiful, beyond the art or the composition. I think it's really one of the most universal, powerful modes of language and kind of have this evoke or incite a sort of emotion or feeling that could transcend into real action and impact. When he was growing up in Manila, Gab's father would take him hiking in the mountains. It cultivated his love for nature and sense of adventure. But in 2009, when Tropical Storm Ondoy hit the Philippines, causing the worst flooding in 40 years, Gab began to see the world through a different lens. We had to walk through the flooded streets and you see people, cars stranded everywhere, cars floating. The water was up to waist level in their house. His family's furniture, piano, photo albums, everything was destroyed. A discolored line on the wall showed how far the water had risen. Seeing this in reality, really experiencing this kind of changed the way I saw about how we navigate ourselves in the environment. Manila was built on a wetland. Theories about the name differ. 
Some say it was named for Nila, Sanskrit for indigo. Others say it's Nilat, a type of mangrove. So our capital of the Philippines was named after these different plants growing from a wetland. And I think that kind of experience also made me realize, you know, what are these wetlands? Why aren't like these stories about wetlands being told? And I realized like, you know, I want to tell stories about these wetlands. Wetlands have a broad definition. Examples of wetlands are marshes, you have swamps, you even have intertidal wetlands such as like mangroves or even like small estuaries and coral reefs. And as well, of course, as lakes, rivers, glacial lakes, these are all wetlands because they really depend on the ever-changing movements of the weather, of rain, of monsoon, of seasons, of summer, of winter. Wetlands are areas covered by water for at least part of the year, and they're found on every continent except Antarctica. They're a transition between land and water, a space that's moving, changing, fluctuating. And while long thought of as wastelands, they're valuable areas, providing food security, acting as a natural filtration system for the water flowing in and out. It mitigates the impacts of typhoons or floods. It also absorbs a lot of carbon for climate change adaptation and mitigation. They're rich, complex ecosystems. And for Gab, wetlands take him to another space, another time. So the marshlands, it really felt like you're transported into this Jurassic time. You know, you have ferns and you have trees growing out from the water, half submerged. And you're just surrounded by these water hyacinths, these purple flowers coming out with patterns of fire. I really love the blue hours, the silence that comes in and all the egrets and migratory birds would then come like flying back to their nesting places. And it was like a coming of a home feeling, you know, a kind of solace of peace. And, you know, the sky is just fully dark. There's no light pollution at all. And you would just see the stars up there, galaxies, and just reflecting on the lake. After the floods in Manila, wetlands occupied a space in the back of Gap's mind. He continued developing his photography skills, exploring the outdoors. But as the years passed, the thoughts about the nature of his home started to grow. What is the largest wetland in the Philippines? Why don't I know about it? And I started, you know, digging deeper into it, researching more about it. Gap found himself in the Agusan Marsh Wildlife Sanctuary, an area roughly the size of Metro Manila, but farther south on the island of Mindanao. He was searching for something, and it's swamps and peatlands, rivers and lakes. And it's there that he met Piagusan Manobo. And in this place, water is really their way of life or their culture. The Manobo people are an indigenous tribe that have lived in Agusan for hundreds of years, hunting, fishing, making their lives right there on top of the water. And their houses are built on these rafts, so not stilts, but rafts that just flow on the lake. And they would tie that house on a bankal tree, on this endemic tree, in order to, you know, stop it from kind of flowing the direction of the water. Their homes rise and fall and move with the water levels, the changes in the wetlands around them. And the Manobo people adapt to the rains, 
and storms and seasons. Especially like typhoons, it wouldn't be swept away because even when there's a typhoon, they don't need to evacuate. They don't need to go out because they would just be in their houses and they wouldn't get destroyed. I think what I really learned from them is that they didn't need to change their environment. They adapted to the nature that was given to them. The changing ebb and flow of water, they just had to adapt with it through the things that they had or kind of knowledge in this knowledge and traditions that they have relied for centuries. Gap learned about the Manobo people's deep respect for nature, for all living things, the diligence they displayed fishing, the reverence they held for the area's powerful saltwater crocodiles. But the more time he spent in Agusan, the clearer it became that in recent years, the ebbs and flows of life on the lake were changing. The droughts are actually changing or drying up the lakes or the rivers. It's affecting their way of life, their culture. Rising temperatures, unpredictable storms and rain, shifting rivers, means transformations in Agusan's geography. So the water levels, which usually depended on a consistent kind of weather, changing weather patterns, suddenly are impacted by this. And even the droughts, for example, some families in the communities, floating communities, would tend to live inland now because it's so hard when you have to take four hours just to get food or just to get clean water, for example. And below the shifting surface of the lake, pollution from upstream, mining operations and palm oil plantations, damage water quality, and harm local fish populations. These man-made anthropogenic factors really are affecting their way of life, you know, how easy it was to live before. And now suddenly, for things that they aren't really in control of, they have to suddenly change the way they've been living for years. Gap began to document life in Agusan, and his photos show striking beauty and tension on the lake. A woman on a canoe, paddling through water hyacinths. The flowers blue and beautiful, but imposing, keeping her from navigating the water. A pig surrounded by men, one of them with a spear raised. A ritual sacrifice, the meat blessed and shared, done in reverence of the spirits and animals in the marsh. And in some of the images, smoke, haze, lingers in the air from one of the areas in the wetland set on fire. So it's not just lakes or marshes, but there's also like peatlands. And these peatlands, they're being burnt for palm oil, for agriculture. Peatlands are unique to wetlands, areas with rich soil, useful for agriculture. They're also important worldwide as carbon sinks. So for example, like peatlands, even if like the surface area is way smaller around the planet, it absorbs three times more carbon than all our world's forests, you know. So it's something interesting how, like, peatlands, where these type of wetlands that absorb so much carbon could also be the most fragile, actually. Peatlands only account for 3% of land surface on Earth, but they store more carbon than the world's forests combined. They're essential for keeping greenhouse gases out of the atmosphere. And when they're burned and that carbon is released it can be extremely damaging to the environment. Peatlands are really, really rich in nutrients and soil. So what they would want to do is to burn the peat, actually. As they burn the peat, um, the soil would be so much more fertile to produce palm oil, for example. 
Much of Agusan's wetlands are being drained and dried, replaced with plantations for palm oil, a profitable oil found in a number of foods and things like shampoo and soap. But it's also damaging to local environments. In one of his photographs, Gab was able to show the scale of the fires in the Agusan Marsh. It was summertime, height of summertime, and the droughts were intense. And it was like hectares and hectares of fire. Just being able to document that kind of, you know, these huge plumes of ash and smoke rising and falling into the, the whole wetland. The image went viral. It reached the governor of the Agusan del Sur, which is where the marshlands is found. And I never knew how this photograph could actually reach kind of a person in power that could help and solve these problems that are happening within their own home or within their own kind of jurisdiction. While the photograph was able to spread awareness and spark collaboration between the governor of Agusan and local environmental agencies, Gap began to receive threats online, intimidating messages on Facebook and Instagram. And for him, it brought to light what many others are facing while trying to protect the world around them. In the Philippines, sadly, it's not really a safe space to be, like, for example, an environmentalist or an environmental defender. We are actually based on, like, for example, the Global Witness reports that we have been in, like, in the list of like the top countries that is the deadliest for environmental defenders, and that includes indigenous people, marginalized people, youth activists, environmental activists. So the Manobo tribe actually also kind of has that threats and pressures. Violence isn't just about like being shot. Violence happens in more insidious and smaller ways. Threats on email, threatening your family, threatening your work, or threatening the people that you're working with. I think that incites a lot of fear. If you are led into and you're consumed by that fear or the threat, you'll be like, I don't want to do this anymore. I care more about my life. And that's also kind of that philosophy, you know, how can you save the world when you can't even save yourself? When Gab sat down to speak with me, just before we started recording, I asked him how he was doing, how he felt right at that moment. And he told me he felt alive. I feel like I really come from a very optimistic, it looks like I'm very optimistic, but I do believe I'm a cynic. I rather call it a grounded sense of optimism, you know, a critical sense of optimism in how it's not just about the beauty, but being able to show as well the fragility of the beautiful things. Everything's so fleeting, everything's so changing. Life, death, nature, wetlands, clouds, patterns. The feeling, I think, to be back in that place after two years, because it was during the pandemic, I wasn't even able to go back to the Agusan Marsh. But just sitting there, we were there sitting at night, and it was really one of the most, I don't know, very grateful feeling, humbling feeling to just be sitting on this raft. There was no roof on this kind of raft, and we were just at the bank of the wetland, this new lake called Lake Mambagongon, which is in the corner and had like all these hyacinths at their sides. But in front of us would just be the stillness of the lake. It was a night, really dark. And there was like kind of lights, you know, just out in the distance. It, we, we didn't know it was, it was like the solar lights of the communities as well. But in just that feeling, you know, that you're so small and significant, but how lucky you are to be in this place, you know, this place that's, that once was, and just being there, consumed or all consumed overwhelmed by this whole experience and like you know the stars were out that whole night and it was even raining there were like pockets of lightning and rain out of nowhere on the side and you just there like 
absorbing it all, you know, just feeling and seeing it all. To learn more about wetlands, check out National Geographic's program, Borneo's Secret Kingdom, King of the Swamp, where one of the largest and most pristine coastal ecosystems in Southeast Asia is about to get shaken up by the powerful monsoon season. Expedition Earth is produced by National Geographic Asia in partnership with the National Geographic Society. I'm your host, Lily Sedegat. Thank you for listening.